Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. I have an absolutely killer panel this morning, and I'm super excited. A big good morning to Britt Carter from ABC Grandstand. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me again. No, thank you so much for coming back. And we also have Lucy Zelich from SBS. Hi, Lucy. Hello, Mary Kay and Britt. It's fantastic to be here this morning. Now, Lucy, I need to have a little fangirl moment because back when I started Ladies Who League three years ago, my first time on radio was with you, with Kelly Underwood and with Debbie Spillane. So you must have had great memories of working with Debbie Spillane (laughs) and Kelly Underwood but walked out thinking, who was that Zelich? What happened? (laughs) there. No, great memories of all of you. And I remember being so frightened that first time that I went on radio, but I thought like, if I can't talk about sport with three other intelligent women, the thing that I love the most in the world, then I think I've got bigger problems. Then what are we good for? And now look at you, you're hosting the damn thing. Unbelievable that now you are on my show. Crazy. (laughs) I thought we'd start off, Lucy, since we've got you in the studio with a bit of bit of chat about um about Zella this week and and your favorite story. It had to be the retirement. And not that it was my favorite story, but I guess the story that captured me the most was the retirement of Lauren Jackson. Um she goes down as one of the greatest basketballers of all time. And it was unfortunate that she had to retire because of her injuries. I mean, she's had so many problems with mm-hmm. that knee from, you know, going through that issue where the, the meniscus was torn yep. from the bone and then the bone being chipped to then being told it was okay and then the bone degenerating and then getting arthritis and then snapping her ACL. I mean, what else could happen? Um, uh, and, and it's really unfortunate that it's come off the back of just injury woes and that she won't be going to the Rio Olympics. I mean, she's completely devastated, but what a chance for all of us to be able to celebrate her amazing career. And it's been an incredible career, not just in Australia, not just for the Olympics, in the WNBL, in the WNBA. I mean, she's been, she's had 68 appearances with the national team, four Olympic Games, flag bearer at London, and that's just her Olympic achievements. Youngest ever Opal at 16 years old, a career that spanned 20 years, one of Australia's, I think, greatest ever sports people. Uh, Lauren Jackson for Prime Minister next. Like I'm, it's, I'm what, on what, it. else, what else can this woman not do? But, um, you know, it's successful across Australia, Europe, the United States mm-hmm. and Asia. Um, just a, a stalwart of the game. And, you know, when you've got people like LeBron James and, and Kobe Bryant coming out and saying that she rates for so many people as one of the top three female basketballers of all time, then what higher accolade can you get, really? No, I completely agree. And to see her, like, flocked by her Opal's teammates at the AIS in Canberra. It was just, I thought, delightful. And some of those great tweets coming from other big sports personalities. So we had Anna Mears saying, you know, huge to hear the retirement announcement of Lauren Jackson today. What a legend. Congratulations on all you've achieved. Wow. And like Elizabeth Cambage, all she could say was, thank you, Lauren Jackson. Yeah. That's because she's been an inspiration for non-basketballers as well, Mm -hmm. particularly for her work in trying to get equal pay for the women who play. Um, but yeah, she's been such a legend for uh, across the park and re- representing Australia. So you can understand why 
sporting stars from all different codes are, are going out to support her in retirement. And Britt, it's interesting that you mentioned the fight for equal pay because I think that's what she's going to be focusing on now that she's retired, really battling for that. And it's not just an issue that basketballers face, it's an issue that all our female sports people face. So, I. But what I love about this too is that if that's something that she's going to pursue now in her retirement, I think it's great because we need to see more former athletes um, that have had such decorated careers coming out and then being a part of educating people mm-hmm. Within the game, um, and and being that driving force. So that's whatever, right because she's experienced yeah. it firsthand. That's Absolutely. Right. So these are the people that are the best equipped to be able to go forward and to lead the game and to take it um, into a new space and a new era. So I'm I'm so excited for what's to come for Lauren, but also sad at the same time that she's left. Oh, I think we're all a little bit sad that Lauren has left. But Lauren Jackson for Prime Minister. Congratulations <laughs> on everything you've Hashtag achieved. LJ for PM. <laughs> we're going to start that after the show. Let's get that trending, everybody. <laughs> Lauren Jackson for PM. Um, We'll take a quick break now and then we'll come back and talk football. Now, we couldn't go any further this morning without mentioning our Socceroos, who have finished the first phase of the World Cup, defeating Jordan 5-1. Lucy, what did you think of the game? Oh, it was spectacular. Mm -hmm. Um, We were covering that and it was just magnificent to be there because you really started to get the sense that what this national team, what Ange Postacoglu is trying to achieve achieve with his football team is starting to to really come together. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've enjoyed so much during the qualification campaign has been about seeing these players that have been integrated into this squad really come into their own players like Robbie Cruz, mm-hmm. Tom Rogic, um, Aaron Moy. He's just been sensational. Massimo Luongo. I mean, individually brilliant, but collectively as a team, it's all really, really starting to take shape. And, and I really enjoyed it. And I think Tim Cahill has cemented his position as one of our greatest ever Socceroos. Well, greatest ever servicemen to the mm-hmm. green and gold. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. He's getting older now. He's at 36 of age. He still thinks that he has so much more left in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still playing like he has yep. a heck of a lot left in him. Um, whenever you, whenever you, when, whenever he's called upon, he's doing the job. Um, and, you know, scored a double in mm-hmm. that game and, and just has gone to show that, yes, even though he is transitioning at the latest uh, stages of his career, that he's still such a fabulous asset to have in this team. I completely agree. And, Britt, I was so impressed with our midfield. I thought that the midfield were the absolute standouts for the Australian team the other night. They were fantastic. They just all meshed together mm-hmm. really well. Um, back, to, back to Timmy Cahill, who I just want to keep talking about. <laughs> that's okay. Those two goals that he scored were his 46 and 47 Yeah, that's right. Goals. So you talk about greats like Mark Viduka and Harry Kuehl. So Mark Viduka scored 11 goals for Australia. Harry Kuehl, um, Harry Kuehl got 17. So that just proves how far ahead he is of mm-hmm. everyone else. And just in terms of different, he's just great at scoring goals. You can talk about Mark Viduka and Harry Kuehl and how great they were skillfully and for the game itself. But he just keeps getting them in with those headers especially and it's fantastic to watch. I know that there were 24,975 at um, Alliance on, what was it, Tuesday night? Tuesday, Tuesday night, Tuesday yeah. night. But I, I was hoping for a bigger crowd than that to be honest and I was wondering if that game had been played elsewhere, say the MCG or in Adelaide, whether they would have got a bigger crowd and better atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Sorry to be a bit of a Debbie no, Downer on it. No, no, no. <laughs> but um, the game itself was fantastic and very exciting to watch and 
suddenly um, everyone, I was sitting sort of near where the cove normally sits mm-hmm. and everyone was very loud in green and gold there, so that was very exciting. Yeah, That's and, all we like to hear. And I think it's also um, very much the message that Postacoglu has been pushing throughout this whole qualification campaign is that he wants to ultimately see the team play in this new proactive way um, and his footballing philosophy is, is really starting to come up there and we can see what he's trying to achieve, mm-hmm. which has been entertaining to watch but at the same time indicative of the times. Um, I think where we are now as a football nation is that yes, we want to succeed, but we want to succeed doing it in a certain way and playing a certain way. So now that we're starting to see the fruits of that labour, I think we're all we're all on board and, and to really collectively team Postacoglu. And there's so many young players coming up in the ranks there. So to have someone like Timmy Cahill, whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench and just gives that experience and leads the other players from mm-hmm. the back. So yeah, there's there's lots of exciting times ahead, I'm, I'm sure, for the future. And there's football fans too. I mean, it was just great to watch. So exciting for the men and also exciting news in the women's this week with the Matildas achieving their highest ever ranking. Woo! Highest ever <laughs> world ranking for a men's or a women's team in football fifth. Amazing for our Matildas after the back of um, their Olympic qualification. Olympic qualification, Women's World Cup performance last year. I mean, what else can be said about this Matilda side that we haven't already? And it's that they're just they're kicking ass and we love watching them do it. And, um, and you know, with the conversations that we've had so much over the last year, particularly off the back of the Women's World Cup, um, you know, them going through their own pay dispute, the collective mm-hmm. bargaining agreement, the war with the, the governing body, um, to see that even though they have had to battle through these trials and tribulations to get to where they have, is incredible mm-hmm. um, because they have had limited resources and they don't have the the luxury that men's teams do, which is dedicating your entire life to this sport and not having to worry about, gee, how am I paying my bills? And I've got to put leave in at work. Um, and, and these are really intelligent, articulate women, um, both on and off the pitch. So I'm so thrilled for them. I remember I got to bed really late that night. It's almost <laughs> as if the football gods were deliberate in that because I was going through my emails and it popped up and I went, oh my gosh, I started screaming around my apartment. Like, this is happening. <laughs> happening the world. so it's uh, it's just unbelievable when you look at the four that are in front of them you've got the usa germany france and england all very experienced classy teams who have a lot more money that's right in. so right so, so right. to be classed in that top five with them that's just a compliment to the work that's going on in that team and they are so hungry every time i hear lisa Devana speak she's so lucy she's so passionate and she wants that medal she's not leaving rio without a medal no She's not leaving. And that's what we love about her. She's one of the true characters of the women's game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that she's often had a reputation for ruffling feathers, but that's in her nature because she is just a natural-born winner and, and everything that she takes to, she takes to with 110% mm-hmm. of herself. So I think it's been great to to watch her actually evolve within this national team too. I mean, a lot of us were shocked, really well and truly shocked, when she was called up uh, to be the assistant captain um, or the co-captain, should I say, um, when they went off to Canada. So I think it's just amazing to see how far she's come and, and how much more she's got left in her for this team. No, I completely agree. We might take a quick break now because we've got one more Matilda's issue to talk about, but we'll be bringing in Anne O'Dong who broke a breaking news story a couple of days ago. So we'll take a quick break now and be back shortly. So we've got a very special guest on the line. We've got Anne O'Dong who's going to talk us through the issues around the Matildas this week and their preparations for Rio. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much. So can you tell us a little bit what's going on with the Matildas? 
Yeah, the Matildas at the moment, um, they, after qualifying for the Rio Olympics, they were looking at to start their preparations, hopefully, in this international break, which kicks off on Monday the 4th of April and runs through to the 12th. Um, within that time period, FIFA designates that they can have two international matches. And Australia were looking to try and line up um, the, the New Zealand, who, of course, are very close neighbours, and they're also Rio-bound. And um, unfortunately, it looks like... Uh, there is no money in the, as I said, the cupboard is bare. And um, for this time period, um, it looks like there will be no camp um, or any kind of preparation um, for the Matildas. And um, Luke Cassidy, the FFA head of uh, national teams and performance, said that they made a strategic decision to start in May. But um, from all from all the word around the place, um, it looks like it's because of um, budgetary um, constraints. And Lucy Zelich here, long-time Odong fan. Um, <laughs> aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, uh, how can we possibly be in this situation where we've just come off the back of this glowing qualification campaign for Rio, the first time they've ever qualified for the Olympics in 12 years? Uh, how is it possible that we're in this situation now where we're faced with another controversy surrounding the Matildas team? That's a really good question and I think that's the question that needs to be explored a little bit more because when you think about it, it speaks to the fact that some somewhere, somehow, um, there was a lack of, I guess, faith in the team's ability to be able to qualify for these Olympics. And you'd look at it in that way and you think, well, this is a team that came off a really good World Cup, as you said. They've actually come off an incredible two years. Um, they were silver medalists at the 2014 Asian Cup, quarterfinalists at the um, World Cup, and then they've, um, they won the Olympic qualifiers in, in Asia, which is an incredibly difficult task to do. And so that what that speaks to is, in essence, almost a lack of foresight and, and a lack of faith in the team's abilities. And... Um, that's the question that now has to be answered is where are they going to find the funding to give this team the best possible chance to win a medal? And they are a medal-winning chance. They are number five in the world currently, but they'll go into that tournament ranked number four in the world, uh, number four in the tournament. And, you know, that means they're a medal-winning team. I just find this whole thing unbelievable. I'm just sitting here shaking my head. This is not a conversation we would ever have about a men's team worrying about the training and the facilities. And the Matildas, as you said, are one of our strongest teams going into Rio. I just find this whole thing unbelievable, Anne, to be honest. And and that is the other discussion. Is um, You know, you've got to look at it. There were two teams that went into Olympic qualifiers. You've got the Oluroos and then you have the Matildas. And that also asks the question is, were the Oliveroos budgeted for? Mm. And if so, what happened to the budget for the Oliveroos? Um, uh, what happened to the money in the budget for the Oliveroos? And why could that not have been transferred? I mean, you look at it in terms of um, the ways the whole uh, Australian sports system works, particularly through the Australian Sports Commission. The strategy there is called the winning edge strategy. And essentially, sports, um, that are Olympic chance or medal chances, they get the funding. They And that's why, uh, you know, uh, football, men's and women's football, over the last two Olympic cycles have lost a lot of Australian Sports Commission funding. 
I think that's probably where we might need to start having a look in, in football is that the teams that have the best chances at medals and have the best chances at um, actually um, competing and winning things, um, those are the teams that should get the priority in funding. And if that means it's Matilda's, for, uh, Matilda's first, Socceroos second, Oliroos third, or whatever the, however you have a look at it. I think that's where we should be going as a sport, looking at the teams that are going to give us the best chances. So, and short of being related to Jesus, I mean, there's really nothing else <laughs> that this Matildas team can do in terms of performance. Um, but I, I read a, a quote that basically said that, um, according to the FFA, that Alan Stajic, the coach, is happy with the current situation. He can't be. I mean, given that uh, we went through a situation where they had to miss friendlies and a game with the USA um, last year off the back of the pay dispute, he was, he was upset that his players didn't have that chance to get together ahead of the qualifiers so now that they're losing an opportunity to get together again ahead of Rio surely he can't be in a in a good place about that look I would say you know I can't put um, words into Alan just try mouth, just but try I, but no no but I was going to say but I doubt <laughs> I, I highly doubt happy would be the word that would come out um, maybe realistic and understanding of the situation but when you have a look at it um, at the current time, a lot of teams are preparing, who are going to Rio are preparing to play games. New Zealand, who was the team that was slated to come to Australia, they're playing against the Netherlands, who are a top 20 side in the world. You've got Colombia, who are playing. You've got Brazil, Canada, the USA, um, also France. So basically, all of the Australia's potential opponents, and they won't find out who those are until April 14, um, all of them are currently playing and training. Um, now, Serge said before, uh, just after the uh, just after the um, Olympic qualifiers, that he knows what time period he needs. He does need six weeks. Um, uh, well, sorry, four to six weeks. He would really like. Um, and he knows what he can do with the with the team. They have built the foundation. They have built the base over the last year or so. But as you said, international games are international games, and um, that's really it is really disappointing, particularly for the Australian based players who are now going to have to find alternative um, ways of keeping up training. I know some are playing with um, boys teams at the moment. Others are training by themselves. Others are looking to see if they can find clubs overseas. As well um, and there, there are already 12 players, 12 Matildas overseas currently so yeah lots of jigsaw puzzles but I think this hopefully this time period um, we learn a lot of really big lessons about it. And, well the preference really now is to get it Sorry, sorry, Anne. The preference yeah. now yeah, is, yeah. is to get a, a block of time together um, before the Olympics in May, June and July but the question is just whether that's going to be enough isn't it really? Yeah and <laughs> the only the only way we're going to find out if it's enough is on August nineteenth. <laughs> um, late notice, <laughs> late notice. But um, I think in terms of the team, um, as I said, I think the building blocks have been put in over the last um, twelve to eighteen months. But just losing game time, um, losing the ability to be, get, to be together as a team. Um, they've spoken so much about the unity and that unity comes through time playing together. And um, you just wonder what effect it will have and what effect it will have in terms of their medal chances. But 
as it is, um, unfortunately, they won't be playing in this international break and they've just got one more international break um, to be able to um, play some international games. Well, fingers crossed, Anne, that the FFA can get it itself sorted out and that the Matildas can have a run out during that second international window, which is in May. Before we let you go, though, can you tell us a little bit about the women's game? Give it a quick plug for us. Oh uh, yeah, the the women's game is a website that just looks after Australian women's football. We do nothing else, and mm-hmm. we don't apologise for that. And um, nor should you. And, <laughs> yeah, and um and we're a group group of um, shameless promoters. Volunteers. You are good. Keep going. <laughs> We're a group of 17 volunteers from all around Australia and um, we all cover it um, in our off period. In our um, Once we've done the day job, that's when we turn our attention to the football. So, But um, it's a really good team and they, uh, you know, as the editor, I'm going to shamelessly say they do really good work and um, they really do keep the information flowing um, on Australian women's football. That's awesome, man. I'll be sure that when we upload this episode of the podcast to um, shoot a couple of tweets to the women's game and, and promote you guys as much as we can because I love your work. It's great. Woo, we love you, Anne. That, that would be <laughs> fabulous. And um, be sure to um, um, hit me up when as we reach towards Rio. I will be in Rio, so I'm happy to report um, for the podcast straight from Rio. That so would be awesome. I'd love that. Yeah, when you're not busy sipping down a bunch of caparinhas by the <laughs> beach there, Anne. <laughs> well, she can do it while she's doing that. We're happy with that. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to you, Lisey, about the best places to go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm getting ripped today. I've heard, of, I've heard about you, Off fellas. air, I've on air. Yeah, look, we do enjoy a drink. I'm not going to deny that. But, hey, you laugh or you cry, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, if you don't have fun doing this, well. What's the dead, point, right? Lots of tears. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> so much, Anne. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, it's time for my favourite segment. We've got Mary's Mix-Up. The first thing I wanted to mention this week was the EPL, where Leicester City continue their fairy tale journey towards winning the title. Uh, they're currently in the lead with 66 points. That's five more than Tottenham, who's in second place. They've got seven games left and a possible 21 points to gain out of those games. Can they do the unthinkable? Yes, and everyone keeps saying it's the unthinkable when really you have to say it's that a it's a possibility. It is, absolutely. Like, can we just stop saying, oh, my gosh, are Leicester the real deal? Like they yes, are. they are. They, they are. are the real it's deal. It's this point of the season. We've got seven games left. They're leading. They've got a commanding lead over Tottenham. They've got a, a good run coming into this mm-hmm. final set of games. Um, and, and you know, I, I think it's it's a great testament to, to what can really happen in the EPL now because for so many years we've just had to put up with the same top four teams yeah. finishing in the Boring. same positions. Well, they were Boring. only promoted in 2014, weren't they? Exactly. So and they've come from. Come. So they've come from you know being a bottom of the rung, struggling championship side to top of the EPL ladder. So Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez. I mean, these are these are two incredible athletes that have gone on to just uh, catapult this team to great success. And I'm all for it. I even though I'm a Liverpool fan, I've now become an honorary Leicester fan. Go boys, go. Go boys, go. And I'm laughing because that hashtag Jamie Vardy's having a party just goes. <laughs> off every time he scores. But we're all having a party everyone, everyone, everyone. So fingers crossed there are plenty more parties to come in their last seven games. Go on, Vardy. Uh, the next thing I wanted to mention was the unveiling of the Olympic Games. Um, 
outfit this week at Icebergs in Bondi. What do you two think of the outfit? Britt, go on. I, I think like it's it. quite fresh and hip. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Don't you love that we're in a position where we're talking about how young and fresh and hip the outfit looks? Oh, um, look, I, 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 Britt, I don't know about you, but I thought I, I did think it was quite smart looking. Mm. Um, compared to years gone by, off preppy, air. I thought. Preppy, yeah. but years gone by, we were, it was funny because we were sitting here with your producer, Mary Kane, pulling up old images of <laughs> Olympic <laughs> outfits. And let me tell you, some of them were absolutely <laughs> They're lucky to have oh, these. Like some of them look like they belong in an, an Elton John um, music video. But this, on the other hand, I thought it, it's smart, it's fresh. It's Look, it's really not that offensive. No. I'd love to meet someone that finds something wrong with it because mm. it's yeah. like, what are you expecting? Like they're not going to dress up like cockatoos. No, no, no. It's quite Upper East Side, you know. Yeah. Um, all the high school, you know, gossip girl, that sort of thing. That's <laughs> what it reminds me of. And they've had some really nice touches too. So the, the linings obviously got the, all the gold medalists yes. that Australia's ever had in it. That's cool. And then they also had John Elliott, who is the son of Herb Elliott, former Australian gold medalist in the 15,000 metre, oh, sorry, I should say 1,500 metres, um, at 19, the 1960 Rome Olympics. He designed the footwear. Oh, So cool. that's a quite a nice touch, I thought. They've got little old historic you know, tradition in there as well. And I haven't seen as well, there's apparently space for their headphones as well in the pockets. Like they've been specially designed for their headphones, which is also cool. Mobile phone. Um, What else? A hand mirror. um, Maybe. You know, (laughs) nail polish you want to touch. All the stuff you need. (laughs) Selfie stick and the nice. Hey, potentially when we win gold, um, and that's the Matildas I'm talking about, they can shove that in their pocket and then just pull it out pull every it now out. and then, you know, you're walking down the street, oh, hey, by the way, I Part won this. Part of the gold celebration is this. they pull it out. And- <laughs> I loved it. But I think Matt Mincham summed it up perfectly. He said that the team looked scrum diddly in their retro candy stripe. On you, Matt. That's brilliant. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so the Southern Stars are the other big talking point this week. Britt, I know how excited you are. They've made the final and they'll be playing the West Indies tomorrow after a pretty phenomenal win over England. Yeah, I actually, there was moments when I was watching it and I'm texting all my cricket friends and I'm going, we're going to lose this, mm-hmm. we're out, we're going to lose this, we're out. But mostly due to Megan Shute, who... Yeah. How good is she, she's Britt? She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She took two for 15. Um, the second was in the 18th over when she took out Brunt, who had just hit, I think she'd just hit a few fours and we're all starting to worry at home. And um, in the following ball, she ran out Jenny Gunn. So in in the 18th over, the second last over of the match, she's taking out two big powers of mm-hmm. England, and it's really just they've just all collapsed from there, and it's it's great to see that we've made the next step, yes. and the four Pete um, dream is still alive. They're going for that fourth World Cup win, um, but. It was it was so sad to see Charlotte Edward at the end too. She just had mascara running down her face. Oh, you could see how much it meant to them. You could see how much it meant to them. Um, but they're really going to have to step up their game against the West Indies on tomorrow. Now it is. But um, can we can we do it, Britt? We can. We can. We're definitely experienced enough, and we've. We always seem to pull something out of somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Meg Lanning who is battling through gastro and just goes off and has a vomit and comes back and hits 30, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or whether it's Megan Shudd or Elise Perry with the, uh, with the ball and getting some wickets. But um, we've also, the, the West Indies have had players that came out and played in our Women's Big Bash, so they know how we're going to play. They're ex- they've played with some of yes. our top players and... They know what to expect too. So, and they met in the final. Was it the ODI World Cup at Mumbai in yeah. 2013? Yeah. So they they do know they're, they're opposition that That's know right. one another well. And they're they're quite um they're quite underdogs in in this sort of format too because the White Ferns were actually from New Zealand. Sorry, were tipped to win this tournament mm-hmm. and they've just knocked them out. And they were undefeated before this. So 
you never know what they're going to bring to the table and the Southern Stars are really going to have to up their game if they want to get that fourth World, well, World Cup win. I'm looking yes. forward to that tomorrow. <laughs> Everyone get behind the girls. And the final thing that I met, wanted to mention this week was Millie Tapper. Now, do you all know who Millie Tapper is? She has qualified for the Olympics and the Paralympics, Australia's first ever athlete to ever do this. I watched a news story on her the other night and I must admit it was the first time I was introduced to Millie mm. um, and had known about her and watching her story, um, it is just incredible. So from being born with this um, with this condition in her right arm, mm-hmm. which has basically stunted the development of it, She's come out now, started off playing in the Paralympics tournament with table tennis and has now evolved to to competing in the Rio Olympics. I mean, what a gun. And this woman, when you watch her play, she's just remarkable, a great athlete, a pro on and off the table, um, so to speak. So I'm really looking forward to seeing her. She's going to be great. Can't wait. So that's probably the mix-up done. We'll take a quick break and come back and talk football. NRL. <laughs> Now let's get straight into NRL. We've had two games so far. We saw the uh, Rabbitohs beat the Seagulls 16-12 at Brookvale Oval on Thursday night. Congratulations to Appy Corusau. It's very rare that we see a man of the match performance from a losing team. What a game. I know. Appy Corusau. Everyone get around him. I, th- I think he's been fantastic and um, and we were just having a conversation about, you know, who fits into that seven role and mm-hmm. I think that he has really made that position his own now. Absolutely. So he'll be a really good player to keep an eye on for the rest of the year and it'll be interesting to see what happens when Daly Cherry Evans returns from injury. Well, is he worthy? I don't know. Now <laughs> that we've had Coruscant come in though? I know. Has it thrown a spanner in the I works, I think it's Mary certainly Kay? thrown a spanner in the works. I mean, Daily Cherry Evans, he's on a multi-million dollar contract and has always been the apple of, you know, Manly's eye. But, but my question is, does he justify that money? I don't think so. Yeah. I think Kieran Foran and Daily Cherry Evans worked very well together and we've seen a lot of, you know, issues with the the Dylan Walker, Daily Cherry Evans combination. And I don't mm. know it's still early days, but... I thought Abby Corusau slotted in beautifully the other night. Mm, mm. I really thought the Rabbitohs were lucky to come away with that. Well, I was surprised with that game because they came out in the first 20 minutes and looked so dominant were leading 16-0. And they were just lucky to hang on in the end. Greg Inglis has been limping for about two years now, I reckon. <laughs> I'm, a rab- I'm, a, I'm a Bunnies fan and I... It's so sad. He's just, he's not 100% he's not and he hasn't been for a long, long time. And even last round um, with the loss there and Sam, they, they really need Sam Burgess in there as well. He makes such a difference, but they were really lucky to just hang on. And I, I think Manly actually could have won that game if they'd pushed a little harder. No, but the, the Bunnies so. needed this performance. So you remember off the back of the, the, the game last week mm-hmm. against the Dogs when the Dogs just smashed them, railroaded <laughs> them. I loved that, Lucy. Oh, I did because yeah. I am a Dogs fan. Yeah. So when I was watching that game, I thought, wow, this is this has got the Dogs' victory written all over it. Um, but they needed this performance. But what I don't like about this South side is that as soon as you do take out a Burgess, you start to really notice them struggle. And you need to be able to build a team around depth. Mm-hmm. And if you're lacking that depth, then what's going to happen if, God forbid, something does happen to Burgess for the rest of the season? Um, you can't build a team around a single player. I've always said that. That's right. I agree. The cracks really, I think, are beginning to show for South and a couple of other players really need to lift if they're going to make any impact on the, the competition this year. Absolutely. But shout out to Cody Walker, who I did think had a very good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other result that we've had is the Titans-Broncos game from last night. So we saw the Broncos win 24-16 in a game that I think think was closer than what a lot of people would have thought. 
I agree. And I think it's a testament to the kind of, um, I guess, abilities that we're going to see from the Titans this season. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of expectations over them and I think a lot of people have been disappointed with how they've performed. But to now get get into a position, I don't think that that scoreline was reflective of the game itself, but Mm -hmm. to get in a position now where they they could potentially start to put pressure at the top of the table, um, I think is is, is good for them. Well, they're tipped as favourites to win this comp this year. The Titans. Oh, the Broncos. Oh, so the Broncos. Oh, the Broncos. And, yeah, so Wayne Bennett's done a really good job with them, I thought. Um, and he actually confirmed last night that well, he didn't himself, but the CEO of the Brisbane Broncos confirmed last night that he's signed up until 2019 now. But okay. just sign him for life. Just give him yeah, a pretty much for life. life. Well, Wayne, well, you're here for an eternity. Yeah. Here forever. Anywhere he goes, Darius Boyd will follow. Of course. So, yeah. Anywhere he goes, he he seems to bring success, except for the Knights. So I'll beat that. But um, yeah, no. I won't judge him for that. Yeah, <laughs> the Knights are a tough. Gig. I think they need the a miracle more gig. than they need mm-hmm. Wayne Bennett. Now, there's something else that I want to talk about this week. Rebecca Wilson has come <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I heard that name and I had this and you had just had this reaction. reaction. <laughs> so okay, Rebecca Wilson. We'll just start off with what's happened. Rebecca Wilson came out this week and made some comments about Paul Gallen. She called him a pretty good footballer. She said he's the greatest attention seeker in our game, that there should be an asterisk next to his name and that he's a convicted drug cheat. Uh, uh, what, my favourite that you haven't mentioned there was that he's a mercenary. Oh, uh, I forgot that one. Sorry, I forgot to include that yeah, one. Yeah, and, and for those of you that don't know the exact definition, I will give it to you now. It's primarily concerned with making money at the expense of ethics. Right, so that that really That's dra- hard, but that Brit that drags his name through the mud, and that reflects very poorly not just on his reputation, but we spoke about it off air, but about the game overall to be associating things like a drug cheat, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that he's checking the stat sheet at well, half it's time. Um, it's essentially defamation, as we were talking. Well, it's about. a slight on his character, but it's, right. it's also an attack on his character, and that's what I don't like about it. Um, you know, the the biggest issue that I have with Rebecca Wilson is that it's not about reporting; it's about an agenda. And mm-hmm. it's about delivering that agenda and 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 making her own personal beliefs known. Um, it's not in the interest of good journalism, and that's that's the biggest biggest and utmost problem that I have with it. And it's that she's never had a good thing to say about any sport. Well, those statement, statements she's made, what are the facts behind it? You know, good well, journalism. She's saying that it's a source. Yeah, she's saying a that source. It's, yeah, of course. A, yeah, yeah, a source. Well, a, a source tells me that she's just an asshole. Um, so <laughs> for me to basically go down that path means that not only is that an attack on her character, but it's also a reflection of the kind of person that she portrays herself to be, which is someone that, like I said, has an agenda that cannot wait to get out in the public domain and slam people. For what purpose? I just want to know what good it does by her coming out and attacking people of the game, people who are well-respected in the game and that have done a heck of a lot more in their lifetime than she'll ever do in a year. And she makes me angry because she never has anything good to say. How dare you come out and speak only negatively about my game? How dare you? Who do you think you are? But that's the biggest problem, Mary, um, is that, you know, we never see her say anything positive. So what else are we supposed to take away from what she puts Mm -hmm. out other than, okay, she does have this aggressive perspective owner that almost seems to come across as though she's bitter and she's holding resentment. Um, I don't understand what her problem is. And I would love to 
hear her position and, and her actually defend her actions. Um, she seems to think that it, it, it is in the good of the game, but the, I'm not seeing any good come out of no. this. And all it does is incite rage. I mean, whenever I talk about her, I mean, I can feel myself getting worked up now. But um, and, and that that can't be a good thing. So I'd just like to know what she thinks that her contributions are doing for the good of any game in this country. And I'd also like to ask the Daily Telegraph what they think they're achieving by continuing click yeah, by continuing to publish her. I mean, the NRL and the Daily Telegraph did a lift out at the beginning of the season, had a whole list of, you know, guest tipsters. She was the only female guest tipster in a world where we have women like Avon Sampson. You, Mary Aaron, Oh, thank you, Lucy. Erin Mullen, Lara Pitt. Get one of them on. Get all of them on. And let's actually, not give this woman space. But that are actually advocates for the game. That's, and that's right. that's what's missing in all of this. I mean, I understand as a journalist, particularly in football, you know, uh, coming from my role, I know that I'm not supposed to be a cheerleader when things are tough that you have to come out and call them out. But there's a way about doing Absolutely. it. Without tearing down individuals, without making it almost look as though it's personal, Brit, because that's how them. it seems. Yeah. It seems as though she's got something personal against all of these people. And how a person like that can be given a platform, I think is hugely irresponsible. I agree. And it's also embarrassing and a poor reflection on the state of the media in this country. Thank you, Lucy Zellich. I've even said what <laughs> I've been just, wanting to say for a very long time. What time is it in the morning? morning? I feel like <laughs> I just, I've, I've had enough. That's basically no, what it comes down to. Completely agree. And Rebecca Wilson, I have seen her write a couple of good things about the AFL, so I'm looking forward to seeing her column this morning that talks about the two big issues that have happened in AFL this week. I need a sip of water, I need a little break, and then we can come <laughs> back and talk about it here. I need a gin and tonic. <laughs> Now, I've got to be honest, I actually have no interest in talking about the AFL results <laughs> that we've had this week. I just want to talk about what I've seen. I thought you were just going to say I've got no interest in talking about the AFL. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Brazen Mary Kate. <laughs> no, the two big issues in AFL. Let's start with last night's game between um, Collingwood and Richmond where a group of Collingwood fans held up a sign that said, Stop the Mosques. How disgusting. How are we still at a point in our games where people think it's appropriate. I, I just, I'm, I'm lost for words, Lucy. Britt, I've expended a lot of my energy um, in the last <laughs> segment, so I just need you to take the lead on this one for the moment while I gather my thoughts because it's just, it's, I, it I don't know It boggles the mind. The first thing that came to mind when I saw the sign was that, <laughs> so the A-League was in a lot of trouble for, for a lot of the stuff that went on there and people mm-hmm. were calling them thugs and stuff, but really Australian Bergen's everywhere. In, really, every in every sport, sport in, in every, every sport. sport and there's no there's no exceptions when it comes to the codes there's there's bad people everywhere but can, but can I say too on that you know football we copped a lot of grief um, over what went on with fans behavior and using flares um, but we never at any point incited racial hatred no. okay so what I want to make very clear about all of this is because you know fractions of the AFL started to, to take aim at us in football um, and and it wasn't just the public that we were getting grief from. What we have to understand is is these individuals, those people that decided to put up this disgraceful and disgusting, deplorable, embarrassing sign at the game, they are not a representation of AFL. No. 
right? They are not the AFL. So rather than slam the entire code, I'm just going to say that these individuals are the ones that need to be reprimanded. Whoever they are, they need to be identified and they need to be kicked out of the game, never to come back. Because in Australia, I, I'm, I'm a child of immigrant parents. Okay? Me too. Both of them born, in, born and bred in Croatia, came here um, and forged a life and very much call Australia not only their own but home. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us uh, as a nation, we embrace cultural backgrounds um, and, and religions and races, it doesn't matter where you come from. So to be in a position now, especially with what we're facing in the world mm-hmm. and this global threat of terror, um, to see a sign like that come out is not only archaic, draconian and disgusting, but it has no place in sport or Australia. And, and it's I- also, sorry, the second issue to do with race that's happened with the to, AFL, yeah. mm-hmm. considering everything that went on with Adam mm-hmm. Goods, considering now this has happened as well. The AFL really needs to make a stand on this and and speak about the game because lots of people going to the game, I'm sure, would have been disgusted to see that themselves. This is a conversation we need to keep having and saying that this sort of conduct is absolutely unacceptable and has no place in sport or Australian society. I agree 100%. But how do you eradicate it? You know, um, it's just we, that small group of a very small group of, of course, people, right? And, 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 you know, we put emphasis on, um, making sure that we condemn it and everybody comes out. I've seen that the AFL have issued a statement and said that this is just isn't good enough. But going forward, we just have to know that, that these people need to be made an example of and that anybody that, that thinks that they could do something like this in the future will hopefully think twice. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's all you can really do. So that was extremely disappointing to see and that was on the back of a lot of other controversy in AFL land this week as Rebecca Madden was appointed as co-host of the AFL footy show. Oh, my God, heaven forbid. A woman, a woman, my goodness. Jail her. (laughs) So what I want to say first is that Rebecca Madden is a very talented and intelligent sports journalist. She's an award-winning journalist. She's an award-winning. With over 17 years of experience. That's exactly right and loves her AFL. So (laughs) congratulations to her on her appointment. What I want to say, though, is that the AFL footy show, similar I want to say to the NRL footy show, it's going to take a lot more than having a woman on the panel to bring that show into line. That's very right. But the NRL has had a woman on the panel for a long time now. Mm -hmm. And so for the AFL to only just get a woman on the panel, doesn't that show where they're at? No, it really does. They're not progressive. (laughs) The whole announcement I found was a little bit gross. Like Sam Newman showed up with flowers. James Brayshaw called her the beautiful Rebecca Madden. Oh, basically, why don't we just buy her a packet of tampons and say, let's hope you don't get too emotional? Well, I wouldn't be surprised with the gags that those sorts of shows come up. I think a couple of minutes after they did that, they were making fart jokes on screen. Like this is the sort of demographic and the sort of – you know, show that we're pandering to. It's not intelligent conversation. It's not even actually about football. Well, the, the trouble is, and I think that's the Brits hit the nail on the head, that it's not progressive. No. So we're in a situation in 2016 where there's so much controversy about a woman being appointed to the hosting role. I wrote a piece about it um, on Zella the other day, and I basically said, what should just be a simple matter of, hey, congratulations, you got a job. Yeah. It's turned into, oh, my gosh, thanks for ruining my show. My, my whole world is collapsing, basically. This is disgusting. I saw a comment that said, did she even know who won the grand final last year? 
All of these comments come from a place of ignorance. But the fact that we're having to have this conversation is what drives me up the wall. Aren't we bored? I'm so bored. I'm so tired of it. I'm so over I'm it. I'm sitting here rolling my eyes at the yeah. comments that you just said. Yeah, well, that's what the, that's uh. what was out there. And there's also women coming out too. That's what I found to be the mm. most disappointing. And, and I'd hope that it's coming from a place where they've never in their lives, either themselves, their daughters, their mothers, their sisters, ever been in a position where they've been on the receiving end of that kind of criticism. Because if they were, they would think, twice about saying something like that. She's, like you said, Mary Kay, a senior journalist with over 17 years of experience. She's well qualified for this position. We're not putting her there to be an analyst. No. She's not coming there to reflect on that fantastic 2001 grand final win the, the Brisbane Lions had. Um, she's there to Even to go- so, I'm sure she's across it. Well, she's I'm number sure one. she'd be able to talk about it, but yes. not reflect from personal experiences within the game. Um, yeah. We've had so many instances previously where men have been appointed to these roles that have never had previous mm-hmm. football or, or sporting experience. I mean, you only take some of the greats of the game that we all know and identify with. Ray Warren, I know from a football perspective, Les Murray, yep. um, to talk about a better half of the Wilsons, Jim Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. These are all people that contribute so much to the game and we appreciate it, but never once have they been questioned about, oh, well, you never kicked a ball, so why are you here? Why do women constantly have to justify their positions in sport? To the naysayers out there, we just love it. We love For it. For goodness <laughs> sake, why do we have to keep questioning it? It's it's boring Embrace it instead of pushing us away all the time. But that's the problem. And another thing, another example, I'm getting on my high horse, no, but get another on, example on, that I drew on was that, you know, back in the 1950s, women, we were all pegged as the housewife, right? Mm-hmm. So you saw television advertisements with us wearing aprons, you know, perfectly co-whiffed hair and a, you know, bouncing toddler on our hips. When men started to take to the kitchen, so you saw Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, Heston Blumenthal all come in. You didn't see women screaming and saying, get out of the kitchen, that's our domain. They were welcome. You know, Napoleon is a fantastic makeup artist as I'm sure many women listening will know, not once has a female like a Ray Morris, who's a a well-known makeup artist, turned around and said, no, you don't belong in makeup artistry. This is our territory. Stop pissing on it. We embrace it because we don't feel like they're a threat. For the men out there that get bothered by this, you're scared of women. And that says more about you than it does about Rebecca Madden or about any woman in sport. No, I completely agree with you. It's max of a culture that still sees women as outsiders in sport. We're not outsiders. We've got our opinions. We're here to stay and we love our sport. That's the message that I want to get across today. enjoy it. And And take one of these women out to the pub. Take us out. Call (laughs) us up. Let's go for a drink because we'd love to shoot the shit about the game with you. Right. And Rebecca Madden, number one Geelong ticket holder. She loves Geelong. She's a passionate AFL fan. So congratulations to her on her appointment. Good on you, Beck. I'm not going to watch the show because I hate it. <laughs> But <laughs> we hope you do well, Rebecca. Yeah, we I hope may, she I does may well. watch it now because Rebecca's been brought on board and perhaps it, it will, you know, represent a, ty- a turning of the tide where we will start to see some educated co- conversations happening on that show. Well, I'd love to. And, Luce, if that happens, give me a call because then I'll be on board as well. Go on, Rebecca. Go on, Rebecca. Not Rebecca Wilson, though. Oh, not Rebecca <laughs> Wilson. We've made our thoughts about her very clear. Uh, so we'll take a quick break now. We'll come back and wrap up the show. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention a couple of things that are happening this week. So we've got round one of the 2016 ANZ Championship kicking off. The Swifts are in action against the Melbourne Melbourne Vixens this weekend. We've got the Swimming National Trials kicking off on the 7th and the Hockey Roos begin their Olympic preparations. Um, They'll take on Japan and Korea this week and Canada on Tuesday and the finals will be next weekend. Oh, and finally, Parramatta are going for four in a row this weekend against the Penrith Panthers. Um, Matt Moylan's going to make his return 
You had to throw that one in, didn't I just you? had to. But the thing, I also had to throw Matt Moylan in too because his face, like I just want to pinch his cheeks. He's just He's got, got this a baby face. Baby face. So shout out to Matt Moylan too. Britt, thank you so much for coming in again. It's been Thanks great having, having you. Thank you. And Lucy, you are welcome anytime. Thank you so much for coming in. I'd be I'd be careful about saying that because I'll be I'll be knocking on the door every other weekend. Perfect. Now. Done. <laughs> Found my co-host. Here she is, Lucy Zelich. No, I, just, I had such a great time being here, and I think it's great what you're doing, Mary Kay. I think it's important to recognise that because um, there aren't a lot of people out there um, like yourself and the Anne Odongs of the world that dedicate so much of their their free time, um, and not that you have a lot of it with all the work that you do, <laughs> but their time to, to putting something like this together, and I think it's great. Big fan of yours. Thank you, Lucy. Big fan of yours too. So that's a show, everyone. Um, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Ladies Who League. And you've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. Ooh. See you next week. Ladies Who League.